This is Eugenie Scott, and you're listening to Shellshocked. So am I. Welcome to episode 16 of Shellshocked. This week, we'll be discussing issues in the transgender community, including an interview with actress, model, and outspoken trans advocate Cassandra Cass. Later, we'll have a science report that covers some of the terminology and facts that can help you discuss transgender issues in a more appropriate manner. And we'll end up with a good news report from Maryland about some great strides being taken by the government leaders in the state of New York that will help to make the lives of their transgender citizens easier in regard to obtaining services and fair treatment. So whether you're sugar and spice and everything nice, or snips and snails and puppy dog tails, brace yourselves for shell shock. So, since 2015 seems to be turning out to be the year of transgender awareness, Marilyn and I decided it might be interesting to do an episode on it. Thus, this week's topic of transgender issues. And I think for me, I first noticed the transgender community getting more attention a couple of years ago when Laverne Cox appeared in her breakout role as Sophia Bursette on HBO's Orange is the New Black. Have you seen that show, Marilyn? Um, I've caught bits and pieces, but uh, I don't think I've watched an entire episode. Yeah, I haven't binge watched it like pretty much everyone else in my Facebook feed. But people are saying that she's an amazing actress, Mm -hmm. that her character is stealing the show. And in May of 2014, she even appeared on the cover of Time magazine. Wow. So big stuff. And, And then, you know, amidst all this uproar and praise... The next thing I remember is that the Amazon channel launched Transparent, which is a series that focuses on a family with a transgender father played by Jeffrey Tambor. Now, the show won a Golden Globe for Best Comedy Series in 2015, and Jeffrey Tambor himself won for Best Actor for his portrayal of Maura Pfefferman on the show. In his heartwarming acceptance speech, Tambor dedicated his performance and accepted the award on behalf of the trans community. And here's what he said. I would like to dedicate my performance and this award to the transgender community. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your courage. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for your patience. And thank you for letting us be a part of the change. Thanks. Wow, how lovely. That's another show that's on my wish list, actually, on Amazon Prime. I watched the whole first season, binge-watched it, and it is just such a lovely, open, honest portrayal. One of the most interesting parts of the creation of the show that I learned as I was uh, doing some research for this episode is that the woman who created and who wrote the pilot and sold it to Amazon, the whole idea, is Jill Soloway. She's a successful author and writer and an outspoken feminist who, it turns out, her own father came out as trans only a year or so before she created the show. Oh, so it's uh, her own experience. Yeah. yeah, Based on her own experience. And she admits that during the phone call in which her parent came out to her, she was already writing the script in her head. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, and then of course, you know, there was the announcement about Caitlyn Jenner, which caused this whole issue to just explode in the media around the world. It's one thing when a trans actress gets a good role or when a trans character steals the hearts of millions, but when an Olympic gold medal winner comes out as trans, that's a whole different story. Yes, and he won the Ash Award for Courage. She did. Oh, sorry. That was bound to happen at some point because we're all still getting used to this. And by the way, that reminds me of something. If you misgender Caitlin in Siri, she will correct you. Oh, yes, I saw that. I saw that on how Facebook. How great or is that? Just goes to show you how far we've come. And, of course, we can't forget another groundbreaking event that happened this year. For the first time in history, the word transgender was spoken by a president during a State of the Union address. Here, here. President Barack Obama said, As Americans, we respect human dignity. That's why we defend free speech and advocate for political prisoners and condemn the persecution of women or religious minorities or people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Now, that wasn't what you'd call a transgender speech by any means, but it was still <laughs> extremely important. Mara Kiesling, executive director of the National Center for Transgender Equality, says she hopes that that simple mention will thrust transgender issues into more national policy discussions. Definitely, because uh, I was also reading about uh, Chelsea Manning, um, who is uh, was sentenced to 35 years in prison for the leaking of hundreds of classified documents to WikiLeaks. Yeah. And I, I guess I, they're putting her in solitary confinement um, for violating all these so-called infractions. And, and a lot of what I was reading was, you know, part of the of her treatment is because she is uh, transgender. Yeah, it's it's really, the whole thing is heartbreaking. I mean, regardless of how you feel about the legality of what she did, your heart has to go out to her because I think it's pretty clear from what I've read anyway, and in my opinion, that she's being mistreated specifically because she's trans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's just wrong, and it's un-American. So, it, you know, it's good that it started, but unfortunately, we probably have a long way to go still. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I have a list of eight things here that I want to go through to talk about some of the difficulties in being transgender. Now, probably I should have started out by defining transgender for our audience because we shouldn't take for granted that even the skeptics who are listening necessarily are clear on this issue. Mm -hmm. um, transgender people are people who are assigned one gender at birth based upon their sex. So you have male genitalia and presumably a Y chromosome, so they put on your birth certificate, baby boy, male. Or female genitalia, X chromosomes, we're assuming, no Y, and they put female. Then, as they're growing up, sometimes very early, some of these folks start to suspect or figure out that they're actually not that gender. That regardless of the genetic sex, the chromosomal sex, or the sex that they were assigned at birth by the people who looked at them, they're actually not that gender at all. Now, we don't really have very good numbers on how many Americans identify as transgender, but Gary Gates, who's an LGBT demographer at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Law, he cited that there could be as many as 700,000 people in the U.S. alone that we know of, which represents about 0.3% of adults. Mm. Now, that's a lot of people. 
That's still a minority, but that's a lot of people. Um, these figures, by the way, come from two surveys. One of them was conducted in 2007 and 2009 in Massachusetts, and the other one in 2003 in California. So we're talking, you know, five to ten years ago. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We uh, have our government-funded population surveys in the U.S. called the U.S. Census, but the census for the United States doesn't ask about transgender people. It simply asks male or female. That's it. So So if someone is transgender female, she probably puts female. Mm Mm-hmm. And then doesn't get counted. So even though sometimes people will look at this stuff like the census and they think to themselves, whose business is it, you know, how many toilets I have in my home or, you know, how much money I make or what gender I am or anything. And they sort of toss that stuff. This is extremely important information that's being collected here because we need to stand up and be counted, all members of minority groups especially, whether you're a power minority like women or whether you're a literal minority like African-Americans, gay people, trans people, etc. You know, it makes it much easier to lobby, for instance, for federal funding to help a group if there seem to be a lot of them. Good point. Um, is there, do you know of any? Um, changes that'll be occurring to those forms or well i don't know of any that are that are changing now but there are groups lgbt groups specifically who are lobbying congress to open up those uh census data and make them more representative of what we know about people today so we'll see in the future um so far what's known about transgender american apparently comes from pretty small samples Um, And the data just aren't there to really make that push just yet. Also, the data that we have about some really darker things like suicide are really Mm -hmm. depressing. Um, In case people aren't aware, um, about 1.6% of the general population reports that they have attempted suicide in any given year. 1.6% for the general population compared to 41% of transgender people surveyed. Oh, man. That's unconscionable. Yes. Um, I was reading about uh, uh, a sports writer, Mike Penner, who um, committed suicide in 2009 because he he was a transsexual writer, um, and he tried to write under his new name for a year, but he struggled with the challenges of living as a trans woman, and so he actually uh, abandoned the name and, and returned to living as a man and unfortunately killed himself in, in November 2009. But, you know, I, I can't imagine how how hard it is for some of these individuals to to live, you know, with people who don't, who wouldn't support them if, you know, or don't support them. Yeah. Or, well, who was that person? Um, his name was Mike Penner. Well, was, uh, in, in posthumously, I'm going to refer to this person as she. I think that's really sad that, the blowback that was received was so harsh Mm -hmm. that we have a person here who clearly had figured out herself and couldn't somehow make it work. So her name was Christine Daniels. There you go. Wow. You know, Mm -hmm. the analysis this year by the Williams Institute also found 78% of transgender respondents had endured physical or sexual violence at school. 78%. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
If these numbers were happening to any other group of people, and I dare say even to gay and lesbian people, there would be a lot bigger fuss made about it. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's just my opinion off the cuff, but I stand by that opinion. Poverty is another massive issue in the trans community. Mm -hmm. Yes, I read that as well. Transgender respondents are nearly four times more likely to have a household income less than $10,000 a year compared to the general population. Whoa. This is just injustice. And they were unemployed at twice the rate of the general population. Mm. So this is affecting our economy. We need these folks to work so that they're giving to the tax base. I mean, this is an economic issue as well as a, a cultural and just a basic humanity issue. And then, you know, if you make less than $10,000 a year or are unemployed, homelessness is one of the results. One-fifth of survey respondents said they'd been homeless at some point. One in five. And more than half said that they had been either harassed at a homeless shelter or said they were sexually assaulted. Oh, wow. And many of them were just turned away completely from the homeless shelter. (laughs) That That's just disgusting. It's horrifying. I mean, yes. someone should shut these places down or get in there and educate these folks. Um, the trans community reports much higher rates of housing discrimination as well. Four years ago, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, published a report showing evidence that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people and families are being arbitrarily excluded from some housing opportunities in the private sector and 19% reported becoming homeless as a res- as a result. If you remember when I did my story about uh, the Gay Pride Day at the A's game, mm-hmm. um, the, a lot of that money was going to a youth center in San Francisco that um, it's a shelter for uh, LBGT youth um, because Great. of all the problems that uh, that you you know you've just been expounding on. Yeah. And, you know, uh, some of these data that are coming in are, as you said, they're LGBT. So it sort of mixes together sexual minorities and gender minorities. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to correct that in the future. Of course, sexual orientation is whom you're attracted to sexually. Gender identity is a completely separate construct. Yeah, and they're two different things, yes. Um, Sometimes you have even atheists, even people in the gay community who are extremely transphobic and bigoted about trans people. I agree that it's um, a lot of uh, miseducation. And, you know, they don't understand a lot of the science that has come out, you know, uh, that's been that's being conducted um, about all this stuff. And, and we all need to, I don't know why we can't all just get along. Yeah. I'm going to sound really whiny here, but I'm going to continue with this list and I'm going to get increasingly pissed off. (laughs) Uh, We will get to some good news, I promise. But, you know, I think it was Gloria Steinem who once said, the truth will set you free, but first it's going to piss you off. Oh, wow. Isn't that a great line? That is. Uh, Healthcare discrimination. Okay, here we, this is really pissing me off because I was just sitting here saying, okay, all these ignorant people who don't know any better, they're not educated. People in the healthcare industry are educated people, and yet 19% of trans people responding said that they had been refused care due to their gender status, with even higher numbers among people of color. So we've got a little bigotry thrown in there based on race as well. 28% say they'd been harassed in a medical setting, and half said that they had to, get this, Teach their medical providers about transgender care. 
Oh, my goodness. I'm going to start using some really bad words in a few minutes. Well, um, I also uh, read that for the mental health profession, um, there is maybe one class um, when you're going to be a therapist on LGBT issues. And like you said, those are they're all bundled together in one thing. And so um, a lot of therapists who are supposed to help these people don't know a lot about transgender issues either. That's crazy. we got a lot of work to do. Discrimination at work. According to the Injustice at Every Turn survey, 25% of transgender people reported losing a job because they did not conform to gender norms. Mm. And 90% said they faced some form of transgender-based discrimination. Well, uh, they've tried to pass or, you know, they've tried to protect these workers with uh, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, but it has failed um, several times over the past two years. Um, Individual states and cities have been passing their own. um, And in New York, Governor David uh, Patterson passed their first legislation to include transgender protections in September 2010. And lastly, and this is the one that there is actually some hope for. Technically, right now, transgender people still can't serve in the U.S. military. That's all poised to change. Uh, At this moment, transgender people are barred from entering military service openly by medical regulations. Um, Potential service members have to undergo a physical examination before joining. And the law, as it stands now, allows them to be rejected for evidence of genital surgery or if they're gender nonconforming. So there's still about 15,000 transgender people who are currently serving in the U.S. military, and I would add serving well, by the way, so there's no reason for this discrimination. Um, But the good news is that they recently passed legislation that in May they will begin to implement, which bars discrimination in the military. Well, at least we're ending on a positive note of all your points. Yeah. (laughs) There's some hope, but there's so much further to go. And by the way, you were saying earlier that a lot of people in in counseling, for instance, don't get specific classes or good instruction in helping the transgender community or even understanding them. They certainly get that in my classes, as I have met more and more transgender people over the past few years and educated myself more and more, which I still have a long way to go, but I'm so much more educated than I was a few years ago, thanks to all my friends. Uh, I started just non-consciously including this in my lectures, and I wasn't even aware of doing this until at the end of the summer session when a man came up to me who had been interpreting for me in one of my classes. The class was over. It was the last day of instruction. Actually, it was the last day of final exams, and the finals were over, and all the students had gone. And he walked up to me, and he said, I just wanted to thank you. And I was assuming he was interpreting for the student, so I'm looking at the student. And he says, no, no, this is the interpreter speaking. And I said, oh, "Oh, okay." And he said, I wanted to thank you for all your advocacy for the trans community. And I said, oh, have you like read something online? And he said, no, in class. (laughs) And I said, I wasn't even aware I was doing that. And he said, really? Really? Because you mention it all the time. I said, oh, good. That's the way it should be. I said, it should just become about naturally, of course. And you're welcome. And he said, well, I'm trans and I wanted you to know that. And I said, oh, I had no idea. I wasn't specifically doing it because I thought there was a trans person in the room. I was just pissed off. (laughs) He said, well, I really appreciate that. And I wanted you to know, keep it up. 
That's wonderful. Yeah, it was really heartening. It sounds yeah. a little braggadocious on my part. I didn't mean for it to come across that way, but I think everyone should be doing this. You're right. It shouldn't You're just right. be a little section, a little segment in the textbook or in one of your practicum classes. This should be the narrative across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're in, in India, um, they've uh, uh, declared a transgender to be a third gender in Indian law. Wow. The Supreme Court in 2014 declared that, and be, apparently they have a long history, uh, Indian history and in Hindu mythology, and the justice um, noted in his decision, I, I like this quote, seldom our society realizes or cares to realize the trauma, uh, agony, and pain which the members of transgender community undergo, nor appreciates the innate feelings of the members of the transgender community, especially of those whose mind and body disown their biological sex. Wow. So maybe one day we, you know, we won't even need a third gender because yeah. it won't matter if you're male, female or whatever. Right? Well, it's an interesting approach because I think that, and I can't speak for the whole transgender community, obviously, but my sense from the friends that I have is that they don't consider themselves a third gender of any kind. They mm -hmm. consider themselves the same way anybody else does as mm -hmm. the gender that they are. So right. whenever that discovery is made, whether it's early on or later in life, they are that gender. And so, you know, you're not a trans man, you're a man, like any other man. You're not a trans woman, you're a woman. Now, we're using these terms now because we're specifying the issues that we need to overcome. But, you know, so that's my reaction to the whole third gender thing. But if it works in that culture and, and it helps people, of course, I'm all for yeah. it. Well, there's certainly an awful lot to discover, an awful lot to discuss. So uh, coming up, I have an interview with my friend, the actress and model Cassandra Cass, and she'll be talking about her life growing up uh, in Iowa and coming out to San Francisco and hitting it big in Hollywood. And um, we talk about some transgender issues specifically. And uh, so I guess let's get that started now. Our guest interview this week is with Cassandra Cass. Ms. Cass is an actress, a performer, and a model, as well as an outspoken advocate for the trans community. You may have seen her on an episode of CSI Las Vegas, or maybe in the reality series Wild Things on Showtime, or in one of the two documentaries she's been featured in, What's the Tea and Trantasia, or from her appearance on The Tyra Banks Show, or maybe in one of her wildly popular performances at Asia SF and other venues, or perhaps just in your dreams. Being trans herself, I've asked Cassandra to come on the show to talk about her life before and after her transition, her successful career as an entertainer, as well as some of the issues that have been making the rounds in the media and pop culture regarding the transgender community. Cassandra Cass, welcome to Shellshocked. Hi, thank you for having me. I should probably start out by letting people know that the discussion that you and I are going to be having is very frank and open, and it's between friends. Right. And some yeah. of the things that we'll be talking about are not necessarily topics that listeners should broach with just any trans person they happen to meet. Uh, Cassandra and I have known each other for quite a few years, and I know her to be a very open person who's very comfortable both with herself and with pretty much any issue we choose to discuss. So please mm -hmm. don't take this interview as a template for discussions you might have with someone you know or suspect to be transgender. 
So let's start out with some of the definitions that people may or may not know, the terms that we'll be using. So these are three terms that I've found, especially with my students that I teach, that they get mixed up. Transgender, transsexual, and transvestite. So tell us what do those terms mean? How are they different? Okay. Well, first of all, a transvestite is usually someone who identifies as a straight male and just enjoys the act of wearing women, women's clothing and actually usually gets turned on by it. Mm. Um, a transgender and a transsexual, to me, they're one of the same thing. Uh, transgender usually is someone who was born a different sex than they identify as, such as me. I was born, you know, genetically male, but I've always felt female and have since had many surgeries and transitioned and I live my life now as a woman. So um, one thing that I also find is labels um, are, you know, I think our society totally wants to put people in categories, which I understand because I think if they can put them in a category, they think they can understand them right. better. But uh, uh, And then also you have drag queens, which I always say are gay men who have too much fashion sense. <laughs> you know, they just love the glitz and the glamour. And I also do uh, burlesque shows, which some people a lot of the time confuse as, you know, me being a drag queen. So uh, I just I just love entertaining and the, the glamour side of it. So now that we know what we're talking about in general, let's talk specifically about you, which I know you hate to do. No, but, I love it. <laughs> can you tell me briefly, what is the origin story of Cassandra Cass? Absolutely. You know, I grew up in the heart of America in Iowa, in the largest city, which was Des Moines. My father was a basketball coach. My mother was a homemaker. And I'm one of originally four boys. We were all born within four years. So it was a very like kind of uh, Midwestern mentality. You know, dad was the the macho machismo guy and mom was in the kitchen. Mm. And uh, definitely did not feel woman empowerment. You know, it was a very oppressive uh, childhood, uh, which was scary for me because I always knew that I wanted to live my life as a woman or I knew I wanted to be a girl. So that was super scary to go to my dad at 16 years old and say, look, I want to be a woman. And the first thing he said to me is, you're going to be the ugliest woman and no one's ever going to love you. Oh. So very life, yeah, it was, it was awful at the time. But if that didn't happen, I don't think I would have turned into the type of person I am, which is uh, from a Western, you know, ideal of beauty. I really like patterned myself after that, you know, like a playboy playmate, you know, blonde mm. boobs, all that. So I definitely proved them wrong there. And then love, you know, hey, we all have a hard time finding love. <laughs> so how did your family react uh, overall when you told them that you had made this oh. discovery about yourself and you, did, you were female and you're going to live your life that way? Well, at, at the time I was, uh, because my mother left when I was in like the fourth or fifth grade mm. and kind of disappeared. So I already was dealing with like the broken home syndrome. Uh, so I was living with my dad, my brothers and not good at all. Just how you would expect a, a Midwestern man who, you know, son was wanted to be a woman. I mean, first of all, my dad always, I felt, felt that he thought women were beneath him. If that makes sense. They were yeah. good for sex or, or having kids. So Definitely not accepting. My brothers, nobody wanted to openly talk about it. They they pushed it under the rug. And, and that really, like, destroyed me. I mean, I tried to take an overdose of pills. And then shortly after, I basically, um, 
you know, went into, like, when you, when you try to commit suicide, you have to go into, like, a, a mental evaluation, and then I never returned home, pretty much. You know, I just went there, and then I, I, I got a job, and then just kind of started on my journey towards becoming Cassandra. And you eventually made it to San Francisco. How did you go about making it there and finding employment and marketing yourself? Well, I first I knew that uh, I wanted to be beautiful. And I uh, was in Iowa and I was working at like a fast food joint. And I, I got on hormones. Uh, luckily, my mother came back into my life around like 17 or 18. And she was supportive as far as the whole transgender thing, which was a godsend. So I went to the local hospital and said I was transgender and I knew I needed to be on hormones. And uh, they sent me to a, a gender clinic in Iowa, which really was not a clinic. It was it was some transgender woman's apartment. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I thought it was going to be like these doors would open and it's like, hello, you're number 45. Let us help you on your journey. Right. And uh, yeah, it was not. She was she was struggling herself and she was just on the side, you know, counseling, but it, it hooked me up with the doctor. I got on hormones. I started performing in the gay community. I guess you could say at the time as a drag queen, because one thing about me is I always wanted to be a performer. And that was the closest thing to being Madonna. You know what I mean? <laughs> Lip syncing and wearing costumes. And the gay community was very, very um, embracing of me. You know, they were like, Oh, you're beautiful. And, you know, so I, I gravitated towards that. And, um, so at that time, uh, I had a best friend who said, Cassandra, you need to leave Iowa because I hadn't started living as a woman. I was on hormones, but I was very itty, you know, like I plucked my eyebrows and people would be like, what are you? And so my friend said, you need to move. And at the time, Florida was the most, we had seen transgender women come from Florida who performed in the club and they were gorgeous. So I said, well, I need to go to Florida. So lo and behold, I went down to Florida and I, I learned about the culture down there. But I knew that I always wanted to go to California because that's where stars were made. Mm -hmm. And a friend said she was moving to San Francisco and would I like to join her? And, and I did. And I actually drove my 1989 Oldsmobile and I was listening to the Who's That Girl soundtrack. <laughs> You're such a cliche. I know it was so cheesy, like Madonna would say, I went to Times Square, I had $30, I wanted to be a star, and it was true, but that's kind of my personality. I, I've always lived my life like a movie, because I feel if you don't dream, things aren't going to happen. Right. So I, I I went to San Francisco, and I'd heard about this club named Divas, and it supposedly was a club that just was for transgender, you know, transgender people. And I was like, wow, a place where it's just for transgender, you know, people. So I walked into the, um, the nightclub and it was a Saturday night. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, all these guys, there were a lot of guys in there and there were a lot of other transgender women. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have arrived, right? Like, I am in Shangri-La. And I remember a guy, like, came up to me and said, um, I would, how much for a date? And I thought he meant, like, do I want to go on a date with him? And no, he meant, like, how much do I charge, like, prostitution? Oh, my God. And I was just like, oh, no, this isn't Pretty Woman. But uh, <laughs> basically, I um I got a, a bartending position there. I went to Alexis Miranda, who was in charge of the club, and I said, look, I don't want to, you know, be a prostitute. And I, I don't really have an education, but I'm willing to work hard. And she said, okay, well... Uh, how about bartending? I got a bartending job at 6 a.m. And then I also went to another place uh, called Asia SF because I always one thing I could do is I could perform and they were hiring and I got a job there. And then 
CSI came about because the 100th episode, they were looking for believable uh, transgender people who could play parts in the show. And one of the parts was uh, a showgirl. Mm. And it just was a natural. I got the part. And that led to, um, you know, other opportunities. And then I just kept, you know, performing. And then Trantasia came about, which was a documentary on Showtime, the number one documentary. And then that led to Wild Things, which was an eight-episode reality show on Showtime. And then I just actually filmed an episode of Botched, because um, I do Jessica Rabbit as a character that's coming out in the fall. And I actually moved down to Hollywood a couple months ago just to really concentrate on really going after it. Well, you've come a long way since Iowa. Yeah, although my dad did call me up like yesterday, and I was like... Uh, dad, you know, like, you know, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to, you know, because finances, I think, are the biggest issue with anybody, let alone a transgender person, because it's so expensive to transition. And he said, and he says to me, he's like, well, Cassandra, you need to find a new sugar daddy. I'm like, dad, wow, your dad's not supposed to tell you that. Well, you live in one of the most expensive places in the country. Yeah. So I can imagine it's tough. You know, 2015 seems to be turning out to be the year of the trans woman, though. It seems to me. Laverne Cox is making a huge Mm -hmm. splash on HBO's Orange is the New Black. Then we've got the really public transition of Caitlyn Jenner. What do you make Mm -hmm. of all this? Do you think it's mostly positive, mostly negative, a mixture? I think it's positive because any time that we get out there and it doesn't have to do with a complete exploitation. It has to do Laverne Cox is an actress, so she's playing a part. That's amazing. Uh, Caitlyn uh, Jenner, you know, was this uh, huge American hero. So that to me is amazing. I definitely hear a lot of people in the community complaining. I I think they need to shut up. Uh, people are actually talking about transgender people, and I think that's the first step towards acceptance is that we're even on their tongue. So I'm very excited. And I've had opportunities just being here in Hollywood because of Laverne Cox and Candace Kane and, you know, Caitlyn Jenner. So I'm very happy for it. You know, some people have said that Caitlyn Jenner, specifically her decision to market her transition story through a reality TV series might not have been the best idea. Do you think that that's right, that there are some drawbacks? Or do you think ultimately that will have a positive effect as well? I definitely think it's positive. I mean, people just want to complain, but how else are you going to educate people? The reality is reality shows are very cheap to produce, and they are the hot thing right now. I mean, my only issue with the show per se is it's very, very heavy on education, which I love, but you still have to entertain an audience. You know, it's like it's on the E! channel, and I find myself, you know, I, I watch it because I am transgender and I feel it's like my, my, my purpose. You know what I mean? I have to watch it to understand, you know, cause I am what I am. But yeah. there are definitely times I'm like, oh my gosh, could they like go party or do something a little funner? You know what I mean? It's always like, it's a little preachy. I mean, we got to remember that our lives as, as difficult as they might be are still fun and exciting and I wish they'd show that a little bit more. So maybe a spoonful of sugar, as they say. Lighten it up a little, you know. In in case there's anybody out there right now who's listening, who's trans or who has a loved one who is, do you have any advice to offer them, any wisdom to impart from your own journey? I I sure do. A lot of people always come up and they're like, well, I don't quite understand. And here's what I say. When you wake up in the morning – do you look down at your genitals and decide, oh, I'm a, I'm a, that's why I'm a man or that's why I'm a woman? 
Mm. No, most people don't even think about it. That's how most of us transgender people feel is we don't think about it. We've always thought we were a certain way, but unfortunately our bodies have not matched that. So I just think people tend to overthink it. It's really not that difficult. You know, your brain is the most powerful organ in the body. And if your brain is female or your brain is male and that's how you identify, you know, I, I think that's how people should look at it. You know, um, I think just be sensitive, be understanding, uh, you know, just try to treat people the way you want to be treated. I, I think people just overthink it. I agree. And I, I would also add as a psych professor that all of the research is on your side in that. That it, yeah. it's showing that I mean, there are biological reasons that we feel male or female and they have mm-hmm. little to nothing to do with the presentation on the outside. It's in your brain. Yeah, completely. Well, it's been a pleasure, as always, talking to you. Is there anything you're working on right now that you can tell us about or anything you'd like to promote? Or where can people go to keep track of you? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I still travel up to San Francisco, and I do uh, – the Starlight Room has a Sunday brunch called Sunday's a Drag, and I still occasionally do that. So you could definitely call and check me out there. Just uh, call and make reservations and find out if I'm there. And then as far as in Hollywood, I'm currently in post-production. I can't name the network, but for a new reality show. So oh. there's, you're going to be seeing a lot more of me, that's for sure. And I'll wear my clothes, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cassandra Cass, thanks so much for your time, for being on Shell Shocked. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sheldon. The Science Given that the subject of gender identity is unfamiliar to many people, it's understandable that a lot of well-meaning folks lack the vocabulary and knowledge of how to avoid engaging in dialogue that might be perceived as transphobia, fear or hatred of transgender people. Even in professional interviews by well-meaning but obviously untrained media personalities, clumsy and offensive wording is often used. This can even be true in the case of trans people themselves, who use imprecise and potentially damaging phrasing to refer to the issues, showing that our culture has a large learning curve ahead of it before we all know enough to engage in dialogue about trans issues in a proper way. In an effort to assist, we present a list of six do's and don'ts for talking about trans issues. 1. Terminology Even those who are making a good-faith effort to be respectful of trans individuals can sometimes find themselves lacking the proper terminology to avoid offense. To that end, the following four terms are important. Transgender. This term refers to people whose gender identity is different than the one assigned at birth. A shortened form of this word, trans, is also acceptable, as in a trans woman or trans issues. Of course, most people simply prefer their own name, so that's good too. Cisgender. The opposite of transgender, cisgender, refers to people whose gender identity is the same as the one they were assigned at birth. Transitioning. This term is used to refer to the process trans individuals go through in accepting and presenting their true gender identity to the world. It may involve differences in clothing, 
hairstyle, use of makeup, a name change, hormone therapy, and surgery. But not everyone chooses to utilize each of these. And one term to avoid, tranny. This word is so highly offensive that I have trouble even saying it in this report. But it's important enough and is used so widely in our culture that omitting it would be absurd. I use it here only to educate, not to disrespect. Tranny may seem like simply a shortened version of the word transgender, but its impact is much greater, perhaps because of its association with fetish pornography and because it's so often used in a derogatory and degrading manner. Tranny is a term to be avoided at all costs, along with similarly offensive words used by bigoted people in regard to race, gender, sexual orientation, and other social categories. Misgendering Like many languages, English possesses several words that refer to a person's gender. He, she, his, her, etc. are used to identify the gender of people we're talking about. A common mistake by the uninitiated is to use the gender pronouns of the sex that a person was assigned at birth. This is not only inappropriate and emotionally upsetting when applied to transgender people, it's also inaccurate. A trans woman is female, regardless of her chromosomes or what was initially written on her birth certificate. And a trans man is male, no matter how he may have been raised and regarded by his family early in life. The best rule to avoid misgendering is to simply refer to people in the way that they prefer. This information may be gleaned from the way the person is presenting, the mode of dress, hairstyle, etc., denoting male or female based on their culture, or sometimes from the name the person provides when introducing him or herself. And in other rare cases, it's perfectly appropriate to simply inquire privately, do you identify as male or female? Reasonable and enlightened people will be happy that you respected them enough to ask, and will certainly appreciate that you want to avoid misgendering them. 3. Judging someone's gender by their ability to pass. The term passing is a colloquialism that denotes the degree to which a trans person can remain undetected in everyday life. Differences in height, bone structure, body hair patterns, and other physical characteristics may cause some trans individuals to appear on one side or the other of the male-female spectrum. A common mistake people can make in regarding trans people lies in a seemingly innate tendency to judge someone's gender based on his or her success in passing. This is a potentially hurtful phenomenon since trans individuals' appearance history can be a source of great shame and self-esteem issues. Any good upbringing, of course, involves a heavy dose of lessons in not judging people based on their looks. And your opinion about whether someone seems feminine or masculine has no bearing on whether you should respect that person's expressed gender. Incidentally, like all forms of prejudice, this also applies when it takes the form of flattery. This may have been expressed best when Jon Stewart of The Daily Show took on the media for their overwhelming coverage of Caitlyn Jenner's looks, as opposed to her more important accomplishments and qualities, stating, It's really heartening to see that everyone is willing not only to accept Caitlyn Jenner as a woman, but to waste no time in treating her like one, pointing out that she's, quote, a woman, and your looks are really the only thing we care about. Harsh words, but a good reminder. 4. Asking questions like, but what's your real name? 
Although this one may seem like a no-brainer to some, it's surprising how often this actually occurs in the lives of trans people. What may seem like a harmless curiosity or a getting-to-know-you question to many cisgender people, questions like this can actually be an emotional trigger for many in the trans community. This question and others like it propagate the myth that trans people are perpetuating a fraud and that the person that they're presenting to the world is some form of deceit or a lie, when in fact the opposite is the case. The name a trans person gives you is who he or she really is. Furthermore, since many trans people have a difficult time in their childhoods due to struggles with getting people to accept who they really are, this seemingly innocuous question can be a reminder of tough times they'd rather not dredge up. 5. Why would you transition if you're just going to be gay? Gender identity refers to a person's sense of being male or female. Sexual orientation, on the other hand, refers to a person's erotic and romantic attraction toward males, females, both, or neither. So regardless of a person's sexual orientation, everyone has a gender as well. And if that gender is not the one the person was assigned at birth, he or she has every right, and I dare say a responsibility, to make the corrections necessary to live a happy, healthy life, regardless of whom, if anyone, they're attracted to sexually. Just like everyone else, some trans people are straight, some are gay, some are bisexual, and some are asexual. 6. Never ask questions of a personal and private nature unless you both agree to do so and or you know the person very well. As shocking as it may sound, trans people report that they are regularly asked, sometimes by perfect strangers, about their genitals, as well as about any medical procedures they've had to them. Even those of us who would think it absurd to broach such topics in everyday life with other cisgender people often feel perfectly comfortable inquiring about things like hormone therapy, hair removal techniques, and even genital reconstruction with trans people they only just met. And even if the person is a friend, he or she may not be interested in divulging such private information freely. As stated earlier in this report, one's genitals have no bearing on whether we should accept a person's stated gender, so the topic is irrelevant in most cases anyway. If you happen to be interested in knowing more about the medical and other procedures that are at the disposal of trans folks, you can simply Google them to satisfy your curiosity. Although this list isn't exhaustive, I believe it serves as a good starting point for learning to use the proper terminology in discussing trans issues and for avoiding unintended offense in social situations. For more information, please visit the show notes where you'll find links to resources such as the UC Davis LGBT Resource Center that can educate you further. Have you heard the good news? Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hi, this is Marilyn, and this is the good news. Today I'm going to inform you about changes in our system that affect the transgender community. Even though this news item doesn't affect the state of California, I can only hope that other states, including ours, will follow suit. 
This story was reported by S. Zucor, staff attorney at the New York City Commission on Human Rights. The first identity document most of us get is a birth certificate. At birth, the doctor looks at the external genitalia and labels a newborn male or female. This cursory survey controls whether an M or an F goes on the birth certificate. But really, we learn the baby's sex later. All human beings have a core knowledge of their own gender, also known as their gender identity. Gender identity is deeply rooted, most likely has a strong biological or genetic ideology, and cannot be changed. It is a dominant component of a person's sex. Most people have a male or female gender identity that is aligned with the other components of sex, typical of members of their sex, including chromosomes, hormones, and internal and external genitalia. For them, the practice of assigning sex and then accruing a lifetime of identity documents based on the appearance of external genitalia works out fine. But for transgender people whose gender identity differs from the sex they were assigned, the assumption made at birth was incorrect. Many transgender people take steps to align their bodies with their gender identities and to become socially and legally recognized as their true sex. Correcting the sex marker on identity documents is an important component of this process. New Yorkers are fortunate that in the past year, several New York City and state agencies have reformed their policies for correcting the sex marker on identity documents they issue. The new standards are the results of years of advocacy by transgender people and organizations, including the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund, the Empire State Pride Agenda, the Audre Lorde Project, the New York Civil Liberties Union, and NYLAG. They replaced policies that ignored the reality of transgender people's lives by refusing to recognize their sex unless they could provide proof of genital surgery. They will make it possible for many more transgender people to get identification with a sex marker that reflects who they are. The standard for determining one letter on the face of an ID is absolutely worth our collective time and attention. The old New York birth certificate and benefit card standards meant that many transgender people were never able to have accurate documents. Requiring a transgender person's ID to reflect the sex assigned at birth is not only inaccurate, it is often harmful. When transgender people are forced to present incorrect ID, they are subject to harassment, discrimination, and accusations of fraud. An NYLAG client was denied care by emergency room staff who insisted, after seeing that one of her documents had a male gender marker, that she must be a man pretending to be a woman and would make other patients uncomfortable. Another client feared harassment and violence every time she used food stamps because even though she is a woman, her benefit card says male. These are just two examples. A staggering 44% of transgender people have said they have been harassed, assaulted, or asked to leave an establishment as a result of presenting identity documents with a sex designation that did not match who they are. The New York State Department of Health will now correct the sex on an adult's birth certificate based on the doctor's affidavit that the person has undergone appropriate clinical treatment for gender transition. The New York City Department of Health will accept certification that the requested correction is accurate in keeping with contemporary expert standards regarding gender identity from a variety of health professionals, including physicians and licensed master social workers.
When applying for a New York City municipal ID, one can simply self-attest to the appropriate sex designation, male or female, or make no sex designation at all. In a similar vein, the Human Resources Administration removed the sex designation entirely from the city's common benefit identification card. These new policies are a step in the right direction. This policy is the model that other city and state agencies should adopt. The IDNYC policy respects transgender people's bodies and right to self-determination. It is also the best way for everyone to have an accurate sex marker on their identification. As noted, the modern scientific understanding is that gender identity is the determinative component of a person's sex. Having a male gender identity is what makes a man a man, and having a female gender identity is what makes a woman a woman. A transgender woman is a woman, full stop. Any medical or social steps she takes to become more typically female are not making her into a woman. They are aligning her body and appearance with the fact that she is a woman. By allowing New Yorkers simply to certify to the sex marker that corresponds to their gender identity, the IDNYC model makes correct identification possible from the start for men and women. By contrast, policies that set the sex marker any other way create superfluous barriers for transgender people. Many standards rely on certification from a health care provider, such as a physician, nurse practitioner, or mental health care provider to make the correction. Obtaining such certification is burdensome and sometimes impossible. Many transgender people are forced to postpone necessary medical care due to cost or discrimination. 19% reported being refused medical care because of being transgender. A majority reported having had to educate their health care providers about transgender health care. In some cases, correction is only possible with a court order acknowledging the person's gender. Not all courts will issue such an order. In jurisdictions that will, there are significant hurdles, including access to a competent attorney, monetary costs, and the indignity and loss of privacy experienced by having one's gender adjudicated. Furthermore, as Sheldon and I discussed earlier, transgender people are disproportionately likely to be very low income, navigating homelessness and unemployment, and facing devastating levels of discrimination. Globally, there is a precedent for recognizing transgender people's sex slash gender based on their own certification. Since 2012, Argentina has allowed transgender people to change the sex designation on their birth certificates and national identity cards simply by making a sworn statement. In 2014, Denmark became the first European country to recognize transgender adults' sex slash gender based on their own attestation when amended the requirements for correcting one's gender in the country's social security system. In 2015, Malta adopted legislation allowing adults to self-determine their legal sex by making a sworn statement before a notary and prohibiting requests for medical information. Later in the year, Colombia approved a similar procedure for transgender people to correct the sex on their government-issued identity document. Ireland's parliament has just sent an analogous bill to the president, who is expected to sign it. IDNYC, however, is the 
first government identification in the United States to look at the individual statement rather than relying on third-party certification. IDNYC's sex marker policy is a truly laudable policy. Simply allowing individuals to attest to their sex ensures accurate identification for transgender men and women. The option of having an ID without a sex designation means that people who do not fit into binary sex categories are not forced to choose between two inaccurate options. It's time for other jurisdictions to catch up to New York City in a rapidly growing list of countries and removing unnecessary barriers to obtaining accurate identification for transgender men and women. This is Marilyn, and this has been The Good News. Well, folks, that's the show. Be sure and tune in next week when the topic will be international skepticism, including an interview with Turkish blogger and skeptical activist Dr. Ishil Arajan. She'll tell us about some of the superstitions and non-skeptical beliefs in her home country of Turkey and what she and others are doing to combat them. Thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher so you won't miss a thing. As always, until next week, you've been shell-shocked. Mm-hmm.